What is going on, guys? Welcome to a long overdue episode of the Mask and Health Solutions podcast. We talk about everything related to men's health, improving ourselves. We talk everything from male enhancement to eating better and to, of course, improving the quality of our food and the intake, which is something we're going to talk about today from a, you know, a, a perspective of someone who's living it, doing it day in and day out. I'm your host, CJ Rodriguez, fat loss coach. That's what I do. It's what I specialize in. And of course, if you want to put on some muscle, be sure to get at me. Fitness is what I love to do. And I'm blessed in that I can have tons of guests who talk about a vast array of different things that really just help us improve ourselves to become the best possible dudes that we can possibly be. And again, for a lot of you guys that have questions about PE or fat loss, whatever the case may be, be sure to send me a DM on Instagram because that's where I get noticed the most. We're getting a whole bunch of random ones on WhatsApp and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, who's this? <laughs> so just be sure to send it on Instagram because that's where I'm going to be probably, you know, that's usually where I answer the most and with the social media that I check the most. But anyways, as I was talking about before, we do hear the word regenerative farming, right? And a lot of us don't really know what that word really means. And it's something that's becoming more popular because more and more of us want to know what's going on with our food. Most of us don't want Franken food. Most of us want to kick it old school and kind of go back to the way that we should be eating as human beings. And the beauty of today's guest, Sander Van Stee, is that he lives it day in and day out. Originally went to the University of Guelph because he wanted to study to be a veterinarian. Instead, he changed things around and got into regenerative agriculture, along with taking us down and, and taking us through the whole process today of how grass-fed beef actually looks like, along with pasture turkeys, and how the process of regenerative farming actually looks like, and what the difference between actually having nutritious food kind of looks like as well. And we didn't really touch on his journey so much because we actually got sidetracked and just talking about the ins and outs of the regenerative farming. And it's truly something remarkable because I am a huge believer that we should be eating food that's prepared in a way that makes sense, man. I kind of feel that a lot of the industrialized style that we're seeing now that has become popularized just out of necessity. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of humans on this planet. However, I do always believe that there's a great way to go about doing things, right? And the beauty of it is that you can actually get in touch with him. If you live in the Ontario area, be perfect. Just be sure to check out moraleats.com. I have put all the links in the description. So be sure to check it out and be sure to get in touch with Sander. The man is a wealth of knowledge. And honestly, he was like, I mean, I, I would just felt honored to be able to pick his brain because I had a million questions. <laughs> and as a father of two boys, you know, I, I was asking because he's a father as well, man. He's a father as well. He's got four boys. He's got a wife. You know, the man, we're in the same boat, man. We're just dudes out here that want to live the best possible lives for ourselves, for our kids, and obviously, you know, give back to our community the best way possible. So that's the wonderful thing about Sanders' approach is that when it comes to regenerative farming, he's trying to do it in a way that he can feed not only his children, but the people in his society in a way that's healthier, in a way that's better, in a way that can make his side of the world, his corner of the world, just a little bit better. So be sure to check him out. Be sure to give him a follow. Give him some likes, man. Give him all the support he needs because I think we need more people like Sander out in the world. 
right? So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and just know that I'm going to have Sander on again because I want to hear more about his personal story. And again, we just got sidetracked with the beauty of what regenerative agriculture kind of looks like and what that process and how his day in and day out, to me, I just found it extremely captivating. And I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. So enough of my yapping, let's jump on in. We've been long overdue and that's uh, one other thing that I was going to address before we do jump on in is just that um the platform that i'm currently on is kind of transferring things over so i will be switching to over to riverside in the near future so be uh be sure to check out my mug in the near future here as uh, we transition to a combination of more video slash um audio as well but i know most of you guys listen to audio anyway so that being said that's what's going on there and be sure to check out instagram um for all the dms all the guys that send me different things or questions me about supplements yes i got a couple episodes lined up where we'll be talking about things like circumcision which has been coming up a lot you know and different people's approaches and and how it might play into pe i personally don't really think it does but you know a lot of people have been asking me questions about that along with supplements and all that so don't worry in the next couple of days new episode just on that just for you guys but in today's episode, let's jump on in with Sander Van Steen. Let's talk about regenerative farming. Let's talk about some health and nutrition, baby. All right, enough of my yapping. Let's jump on into today's episode. Before we get started, one more thing. If you want to get any PE gear, be sure to check out totalmanshop.com that is totalmanshop.com and use the promo code mhs2020 promo code is mhs2020 and get 12 percent off be sure to check out their wide variety of all kinds of good quality pe equipment all right and that's promo code mhs2020 for 12 percent off and the website once again is totalmanshop.com What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mask and Health Solutions podcast, where I am joined by Sander Vansteen, who's going to tell us a little bit about regenerative farming and agriculture and, and how this has really come into his life, how he figured this stuff out. And as a guy that's, you know, interested in this, and it piqued my interest. And I was like, bro, this is a conversation I'm looking forward to having, because it's something that gets thrown around a little bit, but I don't think a lot of people really understand it fully. So we are blessed in having Sander on the show today. First and foremost, Sander, man, how are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to be on your podcast. Man, I'm excited to have this conversation with you and just learning more about you know, what regenerative farming actually is and going in depth. Cause like I said, I kind of, and it's funny too, on your profile, it says that it's a buzzword that does get thrown around, but like many other buzzwords, a lot of people just kind of hear it, but don't really understand it. But my question to you is right off the hop is just like, what got you started down this road? Like what made you think about regenerative farming and, you know, getting more, I guess, going in depth and actually, you know, making it, like bringing it to reality, man, like making this happen. I imagine can't be easy. So like what spurred you, I guess? That's right. It's something that when I started farming, it really wasn't a thing at all. There was no talk of regenerative agriculture. There was grass fed meat, but it, was, it wasn't nearly so popular as it is nowadays. But what got me going down that road was my own health concerns. Um, so to rewind a little bit, in 2010, that's when I graduated from college and I came home to the farm. We farmed together with my dad for four or five years. Then 2015, we moved all of our dairy cows over to a new dairy facility. 
And in that barn, the cows did a lot better than in the old barn because the new barn was designed more for cow comfort and the cows thrived in that new barn. They did really, really well. And ironically, at the same time, that's when my own health started to slip. So the cows are doing better and then I was doing worse. And then I was like, <laughs> what am I missing in life? Like, what, what, what's going on that, that my own health is now crashing? And looking back, it almost seems a little obvious. I, I burnt out. I didn't prior, prioritize my sleep. I didn't worry about my fitness or my health in any shape or form. I was really in the mindset of like, I'm young. I got to go hard. I got to get after it and chase my dreams and, and uh, to hell with the consequences. And well, it turns out the consequences can be pretty tough, even if you're <laughs> quite young. So at the age of 25, my testosterone crashed and it went down to single digits. Damn. And that started a whole journey of like reassessing my priorities. And I really started questioning the healthcare system because they weren't they weren't able to help me beyond just give me hormone replacement therapy. But beyond that, they couldn't really figure out what was going on. And it got to the point where they just told me I had to accept it. Is this something I need to deal with? Is something that doesn't have a, uh, a real reason? It's just, it happens and I got to accept it and move on. And I wasn't really willing to do that. But <laughs> so I was questioning the healthcare system. I was questioning my own health choices. And then along those same lines of thinking, I started questioning the way we farmed. And I have always been really passionate about animals. And I really want to give back to these animals that bring so much joy to my life. I want to figure out ways to make their life as good as possible. And I was really more so researching animal welfare and things that I could do to improve the quality of their lives, not necessarily regenerative agriculture at all. But that just kind of came along the same stream of thinking, whereas like, get the cows out on pasture, get them out in the environment and uh, and have their whole farm work as a holistic system. It sounded amazing. And and there was a lot of perks for the animal as well. So that's what got me going down that road. So now uh, we, I still have that commercial dairy farm. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively large farm. So it's pretty intimidating for me to figure out what I'm gonna do with all those dairy products and try to sell them all direct to consumer. So I'm starting on a smaller scale next to it with my pasture turkeys, which are falling in behind my grass-fed beef, which are moving every single day. And that movement is critical to regenerating the soil. It's needed to give that pasture rest. And it's in resting that pasture where the, the pasture recovers, the grass recovers, but also the whole root system. And that's where all the organic matter comes from that you are putting into the soil. And organic matter, that's carbon. Carbon comes from the atmosphere. So that you're storing greenhouse gases in the soil when you're managing the, the 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 farm in this way and it's something that it's it's a it's very interesting and there's a lot of details so like at the surface level what you're doing with with regenerative agriculture is you're you're trying to maximize the soil health instead of necessarily just maximizing efficiencies mm -hmm. but a, a level deeper than that is what you end up with is a whole ecosystem of microorganisms in the soil. It's not just dirt and nutrients and a whole, it's just a, a system where you you pull nutrients from and you grow crops. It's, it's, it's a living, breathing system with a very complex food chain. And when you have that food chain, it's, you, have the, you have bacteria, you have fungus, you have worms, you have insects. It's, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of things going on. And what the plant can do when you have that in the root system is the plant can put a sugar out in the soil and they can trade those, those sugars for nutrients. It can ask for nutrients in the form of 
given the, the microorganisms sugars and the, and the microorganisms grow from those sugars and they, they mine the minerals from the soil and they give it to the plant. And it's great because basically anything the plant wants, it asks for on demand. It's not, there's no free floating nutrients in the soil that are sensitive to wash offs like what you have with fertilizers. And, and another, another consequence of applying fertilizers to the soil is that because you gave the nutrients to the plant, it no longer needs to ask the microorganisms for the for those nutrients. Oh, what? So it doesn't it, it loses the ability to even communicate with the microorganisms, which can be fine for the nutrients that you fertilize for your nitrogen, your phosphorus, for your potassium. But you're not fertilizing for every single micronutrient that you could find in the soil. But the plant is still unable to get those. So you end up with food that's less nutrient dense. Yeah. And I mean, cause that's one of the biggest reasons my, my wife and I back in the day, we kind of, we started like look into industrial farming and, and one of the things that we found, ah, man, I can't remember. It was, uh, it was basically a dude who I believe was based out of Israel. And they asked this scientist like, okay, what is the purpose of the way that you design your crops and your food and your tomatoes? And he was showing a tomato, right? And he's like, oh, it's meant to last longer. Right. And it's meant to be preserved for longer. And then he's like, let me show you some, you know, and he threw it against the ground and didn't even get bruised. It just kind of like bounced back. And I'm like, yeah. that's weird. And they asked him, okay, but what's the micronutrient content within that tomato? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, we, we're not really focused on that. We're focused on longevity of, of the food. And now what you're telling me, it's kind of like in this ecosystem, I imagine that the food's going to last the, the amount that it should, right. Cause it's following like the natural, I guess, like the way it should be like according to the laws of nature i guess <laughs> yeah 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 well it's like it's with fruit and stuff like that is it's when you're when you're farming this way a lot of it is like you, you gotta pick it when it's ripe and then mm -hmm. that's when it's most delicious it tastes good but when it's ripe that means a couple days later it's no longer ripe and it's starting to starting to go battery yes yeah, like food this way definitely doesn't have the shelf life and um and then also within like the same atmosphere of regenerative agriculture you're also dealing with a lot of local farms it's it's um, you're getting food from your local farmers, farmers that are um, and food that's produced close to you. That's meant for your longitude and your latitude, basically like your your climate. And there's something to it as, as well for for the health benefits of eating seasonally and eating food that's like growing in your area. So you're not confusing your body with a really high sugar content when it's the dead of winter, when you're buying, this is like, uh, you got to conserve this time of year. And like, but your, but your digestive system saying it's a time of plenty with all these sugars and stuff. Like even if they are natural sugars, just having food that's locally produced and uh, seasonal can uh, have be like an extra added benefit to going down the same road. Yeah. And I mean, I've always heard about seasonal eating and it seemed like something that's easier to do like because i'm costa rican right and obviously i'm like well you know when i'm down there it's like it's easy to eat because there's mangoes and all that just kind of growing off the trees however the one thing that i discovered the you know the older i kind of got you know more wise here, here in vancouver was just we have farmers markets but for some reason yeah. it's almost like i think we have grown accustomed to just kind of going to the grocery store and getting avocados when it's like you know as far as longitude and latitude I don't really think avocados grow naturally around here, <laughs> you know? So right. I think yeah, there's something hundred percent to it. Sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. And like the sunlight too, like um, it's, I, I've, I've read research where like the sunlight on your skin um, changes the microbiome in your gut. 
So you're yeah. more able when you get lots of sunlight, like if you're home in Costa Rica, you get all that sunlight, your body changes. So it actually digests sugars better. Mm-hmm. So it actually is able to digest those fruits better. Which is super. Because again, we go back to the fact that I, I do believe I'm a big believer in that you should eat seasonally and you should eat with like, according to the food around you. I know that in the society that we live in, we want to eat what everybody else is eating. You know, it's like, oh, I want that. It's like, I live in Denmark, but I want to have mangoes, <laughs> you know? Right. And I understand that. But at the same time, that novelty comes with a price, right? And I think that that's, that's what we don't realize and kind of gets, I guess, swept under the rug when it comes to our health. But another question that I had, which is probably a major difference, like, what's one of the biggest differences that you can tell from your, um, from your turkeys, let's say, that and the way that they're grown versus like an industrial farm. Like what's one of the biggest differences that you can say, hey, you know what? I'm guessing taste is one, but <laughs> along with like the micronutrient profile, like what are some of the biggest differences that you see? Yeah, as far as like the what you actually find in the meat, like the like um there's the turkeys, but also like the grass-fed beef, they've actually done biopsies on the muscles of the animals. When and they compare an animal that's raised on just grass versus an animal that's been finished on grain and they take a bi- biopsy of both and they actually look at the muscle of the animal and in the 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 animal that, that was raised on just grass there is less evidence of aging so um i don't i'm not aware of the same research done on pasture turkeys because it's not as large of a movement there's not as much research on it but mm-hmm. on grass fed it's actually quite a bit so like for for aging there's less oxidative stress and there's less glycation end products and there's less proteolysis, which is all like evidence of aging. And there's less of that in the grass-fed beef. And then when we go ahead and look at the nutrient profile, that translates not surprisingly into a healthier meat for us to eat. You have less antioxidants in your meat. You have, sorry, all the way around. You have more antioxidants yeah. in your meat. You have more vitamin A, more vitamin E, more omega-3 fatty acids. You have more uh, phytonutrients, which are just nutrients that came originally from plants and and grass-fed meat is actually a really good source of phytonutrients and and especially when they're raised in a regenerative way the crazy thing is you're not only getting nutrients from the plants you're getting nutrients from the fungus and the bacteria in the soil that the plant ate from so it's, it's making its way all the way up the food chain and you're getting nutrients from all these like micro microorganisms in the soil like it's it really yeah, it's it's it, it goes all the way, comes all the way back to the plate. That's, I mean, it's insane when you think about it, because obviously, you know, top of mind, I'm just thinking from the bare bones as well. I heard grass fed beef is better, but I don't really know why. But, now, you know, it's like now that I got explained to me, I'm like, that makes perfect sense, because you really I mean, you're explaining the, the details kind of like, you know, the really the small things that get overlooked. And my other question in regards to that, now that you brought up the grass-fed beef, and I mean, we all kind of know it's better, but you've explained why. My other question is now going back to the grain-fed beef. What's in grain-fed beef that's so detrimental to the cow itself? And and um, what are just some of the ingredients that you see that you're just like, I, I don't want to feed my beef, you know, this stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's basically the, and it's not even for, for all that long in their life, like all beef mostly is raised on grass when they're younger, just until they build up their frame. It's just the last several months where they're really trying to put on the fat. And they do that by oh, okay. eating mostly corn and soy 
and 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 like uh, your oats and your and your wheat and stuff like that, but mostly corn and soy and all those oils and and carbs. It's a really nutrient dense, like not nutri energy dense food gotcha. source. The animal puts on weight really well, and and it's like um, the 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 grains and stuff themselves are not as good of a source of antioxidants either as lush green grass. Yeah. So so it's it's a it's a function of the nutrients that the the animal is consuming itself as far as having a much less diversity in the diet and much less uh, nutrients in its own diet and much more energy, which is almost a, an unnatural amount of energy that it wouldn't be able to find normally. But then the result is that it puts on fat so quick that um, for people that go to the grocery store and they're just picking the ground beef that's 10 cents cheaper than the one beside it, that's the one I'm going to pick because it's 10 cents cheaper. Well, what you're doing is that you're forcing the hand of the farmer to produce food as cheap as possible. And unfortunately, that means raise them in a way that gets them finished months earlier. Like it's a younger animal because they put on fat so fast. Interesting. So you're saying that he hasn't even fully matured. He's just kind of good to go because he's so big and fat. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's exactly it. And they actually don't want them to be too, too big. They don't want a massive frame on They don't want steaks that are too big. Um, that's why, especially in Canada, Angus is a very popular breed. It's a smaller animal. But yeah, they're no, it's the yeah, it's not even a mature animal. Like, um, for example, um, veal is pretty popular um, right where I live. It's there's a thriving market for it. And don't get me wrong, veal is still a better option from a welfare perspective than when you compare to other parts of the world where the farmers can't even afford to raise the bull calves. They mm -hmm. basically have. To life right at birth which is a shame but a veal is an improvement over that but a veal calf they live to be eight months old and and then uh and they're fed grain right from basically from a couple months old on they're fed grain right so they're already starting to finish and they're 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 fat by eight months and then they go but like regular steers regular grain fed gray finished steers they're finished they have enough fat on their body at 15 16 months old and cattle really aren't mat their mature size until they're 24 months old, which is what the age uh, you get when you're finishing them on grass. The grass is much less calorie dense. Mm -hmm. So it takes longer to finish them. They grow more into their frame and they, they, they really don't really put on fat until they stop getting taller. And, and then, uh, so they're, they're quite 24, 25, 26 months old by the time you send them off to slaughter. And from my perspective, I think that's a massive plus for, from a welfare perspective, because this animal is living a longer life and yeah. with grass fed, it's like they're, they're spending that, that life on pasture instead of in a crowded feedlot. So I think it's a, a multiple levels. It's a, it's a big boost to the quality of life. A hundred percent. I mean, to your point, it's kind of like, cause you had mentioned earlier too, you want to make it as comfortable and as good a life as possible for the animal before it gets to slaughter. My other question now, because immediately when you said that, I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, I remember seeing a couple of documentaries where they talk about how a lot of these animals just kind of stay almost corralled in one place. How detrimental would you say that is for the animal and for the product that we end up consuming? Would you say that it's, it's, like just pretty bad, like from, you know, having a stressed out animal the whole time than eating it. 
Yeah, that's right. That's actually something that I don't hear spoken about very often is the quality of life, the stress level of the animal and how that reflects to the quality of the meat that you eat. And like I said, when they've taken these biopsies, they find different levels of antioxidants in the muscle. Mm -hmm. And that then comes to like our plate when we finally get to eat it. So it's been well documented that the the effects of chronic stress on our bodies and how the how that causes oxidative stress on our bodies and inflammation and basically exacerbates any disease conditions that you already have, all that stress is terrible on your body. So it's not a it doesn't take a big stretch of the imagination that all that inflammation and oxidative stress decreases the antioxidants in the final product. Hmm. So that's one big thing, but even in the final moments, it's critical that you treat these animals with respect and you keep in mind the animal's experience as it makes its way to the kill floor. Because in the last moments, you can have uh, in a very highly stressed animal, they they use up all their glycogen and they, they make their muscles acidic if they're stressed at the end, at the last moments. And you end up with a product called DFD or PSE, which is dark, firm, and dry meat or pale, soft, and exudative. And the DFD is more common in beef. PSE is more common in pork. But you end up basically with meat that tastes terrible. It's either really dry or you, you take it out of the packet and it's just leaking juice everywhere. And that's just from a highly stressed animal. So like, it makes sense to... From a financial perspective, it also makes sense to treat these animals with respect. Yeah. And it's not just black and white, you have it or you don't. It's on a spectrum. So the, the the more relaxed you keep these animals at the very end, the better. And you do that with humane slaughter. And a lot of people would think that's an oxymoron. But in my opinion, it's, uh, it's, it's very possible. So what that would look like is like you have to bring the animal to the slaughterhouse the day before. Mm -hmm. so that it can get used to the environment it can get used to its penmates they have to form their social hierarchy and then they can go to sleep and they can wake up the next day with a much low, lower level of stress they're much more relaxed they're, they know where they are they're they it's not just you're not just pushing them through the system and then and then like you have to design the shoots and stuff in a way that the animal is not stopping and looking and staring and getting scared. Like you don't want a shirt hanging on, on the on the gate or a big beam of light crossing its path. The, the animal would be like, oh, what's this? And it's got to stop and look. And then the people handling these animals, they don't have patience for that. So mm -hmm. then they got to chase them forwards. And you want to avoid that. And the really well-designed ones too are, they have all like um, circular corridors. So it almost always feels like the, the, the animals around the corner. So that it kind of keeps them moving forward as well. And then also the quality of the floor makes a massive difference. If you have great traction where the, the animal can walk and feel confident walking, that it's not going to slip. It also does not stress. It keeps walking. And then and then at the end of the shoot, it's a captive bolt. And then the, the animal knows, has no idea what happened. It just is unconscious. And from that point on, the animal feels nothing. And then that's when, like if you see videos of the whole process, it can look brutal but you have to keep in mind that once it makes it to the end of the shoot it's dropped and it's unconscious and there's no pain no stress from that point on and mm -hmm. if you really think about it like if i imagine myself in their shoes and and being ignorant to this to the to what's happening it's really a 
a, a stress-free way of going. Yeah. The, the only thing that can make it better, in my opinion, is that if you could skip the transportation, because an animal that's been out on pasture or even in a barn, the sensation of being on a trailer and being transported to a new location, of like being in a, in a, in a space that's you, your eyes are telling you this is these are my four walls, but your your ears are telling you that you're moving. Like it's it's got to be a stress stressful situation. And even like getting loaded onto the trailer and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it's, it's unavoidable that there's some level of stress associated with that. So like in a perfect world, you'd have like a mobile slaughterhouse that would come to your farm, nice. then the animal never have to leave what's familiar. That would be the perfect perfect situation which actually does there there are businesses that do this in europe but unfortunately not there's nothing available in in canada here that i could take advantage of but <laughs> i mean that'd be a great business venture if anybody has you know <laughs> has that figured yeah, out that or the know-how to do that but that's super interesting because i never thought of that process and to your point you're right because i mean i i've gone in it from the store before where you go in there and it's kind of like a grayish gunky meat and you're just like yeah something's off with this one right like you're it looks a little bit strange and it's it's interesting too because it's kind of like i have watched like you know people try to convince me to go vegan and i'm like okay cool like i'll watch the videos and the way that i kind of saw like you know those slaughterhouses and the way that um you know, it was taken care of. It was very inhumane and it was, it was done in a very stressful way where I'm like, I didn't know that, you know, a, a cow could like feel that, you know, I, I, from a very ignorant standpoint, from the way that I was watching, I was like, oh man, like, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that meat ain't going to taste good. And it was like halal type thing where they were like cutting the, the neck in front of like the other cows. I'm like, why yeah, would you do that? Yeah, like, this is awful. That's a different process altogether. That's right. Yeah. And I think halal, I don't know. I maybe shouldn't speak too much about it, but I feel like <laughs> halal became a thing in the past. It was a massive improvement over the the like as far as sanitary and and welfare maybe over the the what was common practice back then. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then so I feel like maybe it, it was a step forward in the past. But like now, um, through the work of someone called Temple Grandin, she really. Um, push the industry forward as far as from a welfare perspective. She really focused on the on the the slaughterhouse design and she really looked at things from the perspective of the animal. So like well-designed and well-managed slaughterhouses, I think have improved massively over the years. And of course, I'm sure if you there not every single slaughterhouse is managed to the same degree. It's not as well uh, designed or or maybe even like they're not even a profitable slaughterhouse where they're cutting corners and stuff like that or or maybe like you you have somebody that's just an angry human being that's managing the place and you yeah. end up angry employees that don't have patience for these animals and don't respect them it's just they've got to get through their shift like yeah like i i don't i'm not surprised that you can find places that are mismanaged and treat their animals horribly and it's like i think that's when as an industry we need to shed light on that and 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 not condone that kind of behavior and give them some sort of repercussions or, or a fine or something mm -hmm. or or boycott it so that the rest of the industry can keep progressing without having these bad apples put a bad light on things yeah and uh, you know what the thing is too though and that's kind of why i'm like i always call like bullshit when people are all like oh you know it's all i'm like no nah, man people like to highlight the bad too 
and that's why I commend you for your work. And that's why, you know, I wanted to have this conversation because you're shedding light on like the proper way to do things. And I think too many people, I see it all the time. You see the highlights of all the wrong things in any field, in any country, you know, for some reason, like humans just gravitate to that. And they're like, oh, look, I'm like, it's not usually yeah. like that. You know, for the most part, it's always done in a correct way. There's always a processes that we got to follow. But for some reason, people like to highlight that. So, you know, I always going on there like it's like yeah negative human condition is like negative news mm -hmm. channels better makes for a better story than positive news but on the other hand like also like especially with social media now you can get yeah. really get an echo chamber whereas like you you tell the algorithm this is the kind of content i want to see and that's what it keeps feeding you 100%. all you see all day is animal abuse and how horrible agriculture is and it's like and then it makes sense that that's what you believe it is because that's all you see and um, all you get, you get constantly confirmation bias and it's a, um, it's, it's a dark place that you can go to. A hundred percent. And that's it. It's kind of interesting because we have so much variety at our fingertips and yet these algorithms will pick up on the fact that, Oh, you like that. Cool. Let's create a silo and let's put you in there, <laughs> you know, and now you're in that echo chamber, you know, fighting battles by yourself that you think the whole world, kind of lives in it. and then when you step out and you have conversations like these you realize you're like wait a minute wait a minute i i don't wait it's, it's probably not like that and and that's kind of one of the beautiful things of having these conversations where you know like and that's why i believe you know you named your company moralelites.com because it's it's about doing it from a good moral place right and the beauty of it is that when you learn more about something, it's kind of like, okay, well, that ignorance isn't there anymore. Therefore, I got to draw different conclusions up, right? <laughs> Which I think is yeah. something that's missing, you know, from a lot of, um, from a lot of humans just in general, because it's kind of like somebody hears something, they just kind of roll with it. And then again, you get stuck in that echo chamber. But when you learn more about something, and I think that's one of the things that we have to do is just be willing and open to learn more about, you know, how to improve our lives and about what everybody else does too. Because, I think that's the thing is that too many people just assume that their assumptions are right and draw conclusions based off of opinions. And I'm like, bro, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, the more people I talk to, the more I'm like, you know, the more I'm able to learn about how there's specific ways that people do things. And the reason why they do those things in that way is because they found it is the best way to do them for the most part. You know, if you're looking to improve whatever it is that you're doing. So, you know, I, I find this to be very, very informative and i think if people roll with it it's kind of like hey you're like wait a minute okay my perspective can change <laughs> that's right and i and i would even i even try to take it one step further you say about being open-minded and i'm open-minded to a fault but i try to take it even a step further where you actually try to seek out disconfirming evidence and really look at yes. both sides of the story. like mm -hmm. it's a it's a journey that i've been down like because like, with my own health issues is like what is the best diet for people to eat you think mm -hmm. that would be something pretty obvious and then you go out into the internet and you and you look at all the smart people, the researchers, the scientists, the doctors, and there are so many different uh, diets that they that they recommend, mm -hmm. and they're all smart people. They all have lots of research backing up their points, and it's like it all makes sense as long as you if you give them a chance and you hear out their their perspective, it all makes sense. Yeah. So, so the, especially with diet, I find the best thing you can do is like. Don't be dogmatic about it. Don't treat your diet like a religion and just try it. 
see how you feel because like that's a really good way to to judge a diet because like if you feel like you have lots of vitality lots of energy lots of strength well in my eyes that's kind of what it feels like to be young and if you want to hold on to that as long as possible i think that's what it would be like from a diet perspective to eat for longevity because you want that vitality for as long as possible i think so and i 100 percent agree with you because I mean, to your point, it's like, for me, I've always been to like the health and fitness kind of space, right? And you're like, you know, which one's going to help me burn fat, you know, help my performance and all that. And I remember that movie came out, Game Changers. And I'm like, I'll give veganism a try. And I never felt worse. I felt like complete shit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I am not doing this again. You know, I just did not, I just didn't feel good. And I'm like, it's not for me. And if somebody can do it and supplement properly, and, and that's kind of where, I drew my own conclusions based off of my own experiences too. I'm not just going to take somebody's word for it. I'll actually go and experience it. And obviously the more research I did, the more I found out that I'm like, Hey, you know what? Red meat grass fed is probably one of the best options out there due to its micronutrient profile. And there's a lot of research to back that up. But I was also, I remember, you know, when I was reading in your profile as well, like you experienced different diets as well, right? No, that's right. Yeah. Like back when I first got sick, 2015, 2016, that's when like the vegan move movement was really hitting its stride. And like, if you look on the internet, there really wasn't much else out there as mm -hmm. far as like you gotta eat those plants, you got to eat your vegetables, eat all the vegetables you can, the more, the better kind of thing. So like, like you was like, well, like I'll give it a try. I'm a dairy farmer of all things. And <laughs> I'm not consuming dairy. I'm not eating meat. I'll give it a try. Like if it's going to make my hormones come back, it's worth it. Right. And what I found is like the longer I stuck on it, I just kept getting more and more food sensitivities. And it's like, yeah, like, and I was doing it right. Like I was eating all whole foods. I was eating the beans. I was trying to get the calories up, eating like smoothies and nuts and seeds every meal. So I still got some fats in there, like all the superfoods. And uh, I, I was um, even like spice and stuff like that. Like, oh, you got to have your curcumin and your turmeric and your <laughs> with pepper and stuff like that. Like I, I was trying all of it. Like I went down that rabbit hole pretty far, but yeah, like yourself, it didn't really end up serving me. Like, um, and like, so like I've tried that. And then, and then like now more recently, there's like the carnivore community. And I was like, really, how can the nutritional advice be so wrong that there, there are people eating nothing but meat mm -hmm. and thriving? And I was like, if these people could eat nothing but meat, I'm sure I could eat more meat and and, and I'll be yeah. fine. Right. And I was like, and then you start hearing those people. I'm like, okay, yeah, there's science behind that too. That can make logical sense. If you look at it from their perspective, if you listen to them with an open mind and then, so then like, okay, I'll eat more meat. And then I was like, I feel better. I eat more meat and I feel even better. And I was like, yikes. Like I eat a significant amount of meat now. And that's really the best that I feel. And it's like, it's kind of like a different focus. It's like, you got not just the nutrients that's in the food, it's also the, nut the nutrients that you can absorb and digest. And it's in a form that your body can use, that your body doesn't need to switch from a plant version to uh, um, an animal version of that vitamin. Like like for um, like keratin, for example, to vitamin A, like you don't need it. Some people can't make that, that switch. They can't change it over. And that's a significant amount of population. And that's just one vitamin. Like there's so many examples. And so like if, instead of focusing on the nutrients that's in the food that you're eating compared to the amount of calories in that food, which is what the um, I've heard a lot spoken about is like instead of just focus on like a food that's still nutrient dense, but easily digestible and and, um, and it's, it's done wonders for me.
Yeah. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding, I think, because there's there's an old book that I always go back to by Weston A. Price, where he was talking about all the different people around the world, and they all ate in the same way that you had mentioned earlier. It was according to longitude and latitude. They were eating what was around them, exactly. to put it simply. You know, and if you go back, you know, 100 years back, it's like, well, what was around you? Some type of protein, be it bison, be it wild boar, be it pig, be it whatever the case may be. A lot of seafood if you're on the coast. And if you're inland, you know, it's kind of like, and he brought up like the Swiss and how they consumed a lot of dairy products. And they were completely fine with it versus somebody that was, you know, maybe out in like the bush of like the Amazons. You know, it's, it's you got to go by what's around you and your body will process it better. Right. And, and again, I, I'm in the same boat as you were. It's kind of like I would explore these different ideas and these different um, diets that existed. But at the same time, you got to see what has worked for many years. You know, it's like, I don't understand why we got to try to rewrite the wheel with a whole bunch of supplements and something new flashy. Like I've come to that conclusion now, like as a fitness coach and helping people get into shape, I'm like, we don't need all the supplements. You don't need all that stuff that they market to you. It's kind of like, let's look at the meat, potatoes and the vegetables, right? Like, <laughs> And then you just kind of consume the amount of calories that you're consuming from that. And you kind of just make sure that it's within reason. And if you do go up, it's like a little bit more protein, whatever the case may be, but whole foods are always better. And there's nothing better, in my opinion, than grass-fed beef. Like there's tons of studies now that are coming out. And that's why carnivores taken off the way it has you got people like jordan peterson dr sean baker rogan's had a lot of people talk about it on his podcast and i think there's a reason why it stands you know the 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 tests of time like it's always going to be there in my opinion it's a perspective that has been um has has not had enough focus in the past because i think the popularity of the, of the whole vegan diet and, and also the 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 standard um recommendations towards like the eating lots of fruit and vegetables as much as possible and minimizing saturated fat and mm -hmm. minimizing cholesterol for your heart health. And it's like, it's, I think the, 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 the carnivore community is really taken off just because mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's not, it's a voice that hasn't been heard for, for such a long time. And like, what I really personally love about that community is that they are not dogmatic. Like they are no, carnivore drinking yeah. coffee. There's ones that are eating fruit and honey. There's, there's ones that and like, and even when you, the, the ones that are more extreme, they're eating nothing but red meat, nothing but ruminants, like uh, the Petersons, Michaela and Jordan Peterson, like they still say like, um, I eat this way cause I have to. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have to, you just do what works for you. Like, I love that the, the whole community is just much more accepting and they're not dogmatic about it. They're, just, they're all about like what works yeah. and that's great. But it's like, it's interesting too about like, well, like, having that balanced diet and like what people are supposed to eat. Because if you go back several hundred years, most of the fruit and vegetables that we're eating today didn't exist. Yeah. You look at like the, the, like what they all came from, like that's what a banana looked like originally, or like, uh, or like the, the broccoli and stuff like that. This is not very tasty food. And even the root vegetables, <laughs> arguably we've been eating for a very long time too. It's like the, the, the toxin load on that, on those root vegetables were much higher in the past. Cause like those, those it's, it's storing the plant is storing nutrients for the winter. Like it's, 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 it's not storing that for you to eat. Like, it's not like that is the case for fruit and stuff like that. Like, and like, we've changed those with, with breeding. We've lowered the toxin levels. We've made it so we can handle it better that we've increased the calorie content, the more carbs and that are in it, less fiber. And 
we've made it taste better, look prettier and all that stuff. But if you really look at like what humans ate, I think it's pretty telling when you see the wave of animal extinctions as humans, human population expanded across the globe. It's like, it's always the biggest, the fattiest mega herbivores that are going extinct. <laughs> That are the humans uh like and it's maybe it's still up for debate it might not be the only contributing factor to their extinction but humans were hunting these animals preferentially like these big massive mammoths and stuff like that mm -hmm. these, with lots of fat on them early the or like the the giant sloths and stuff like that mm -hmm. that that aren't around anymore like if you look in the the wild today it's a lot of lean meats a lot of deer and stuff like that but those are a lot of like the smaller smaller animals like the really massive ones they used to carry a lot more fat and I, that's definitely what humans preferred in the past well it's, yeah it's, it was all about feeding the tribe you know there was no other way around it and it's funny because you did mention um uh, the bananas and it's it's crazy because like when i was in costa rica remember the first time i saw an orange like a legit orange off a tree it didn't look like the nice, beautiful oranges I see here, man. Like at the grocery store, this thing was all green and kind of like brownish. And I'm like, that's an orange. I'm like, it doesn't look like an orange. Look at this beautiful sun-kissed orange. But it's like, God only knows what kind of like, <laughs> you know, dyes and what else they put on. And it's kind of like polishing the apples as well. And to your point, I mean, that's, it makes perfect sense now that you mentioned it. Because I'm like, you're right. It's like, as far as really big, fat animals, they, they're not really around all that much you know it's it's almost well, that's like we're raising them. that's why we're raising our grass-finished grass beef because we still want it all yeah. the pork and stuff. people <laughs> love that fatty pork it tastes amazing oh. well now there's, there's some mixed feelings because people are like oh you gotta stop eating that fat it's bad for you but so there's this this, this narrative for the last i don't even know how many years 50 years something like that so you gotta yeah. lower eat less of that saturated fat but naturally we want it it tastes amazing combined with that meat like it's there's a lot of flavor in there and it's great to cook with and um it's like because we want it, that's why there's also like the very popular animals to raise for agriculture is because we still have that desire for it like i think if you really listen to your body especially pregnant women can be great for this right like mm -hmm. if you really listen to your body you want that fatty meat yeah and you know what the thing is that satiation factor if it's something inherent inside of you as a human being it's like why fight against it you know it's like you're going away against like what you're programmed to eat these super processed super foods that they call them i'm like i don't think so i think you know simple is best plus the thing is your body knows what's coming in and it's able to process everything from a way that like it says okay cool i got all my minerals my vitamins you know fat soluble vitamins all right perfect you know it's all there bam the branch chain amino acids i'm able to take everything that i need but before, you know, because we're coming up already, I'm like, man, this is going too fast. But if you could just take <laughs> us through the process of what regenerative farming really looks like for you on a day to day basis, because I'm curious to what like the actual process of it is like, you know, like if you could take us through like a typical day for Sander, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Like there's there's principles that um, that you follow for regenerative agriculture. And they, those are like your bio, you want to maximize the biodiversity in your soil and around your soil. You want to minimize the disturbance of the soil because especially the fungal life is so sensitive. As soon as you disturb it anyway, compaction with your big equipment, all that fungus life just dies off. And then you also want to have living roots in the soil all year round. Even like even when they're like semi-dormant in the winter, there's still you need to have the the relationship between the plant and the microorganisms, or else those microorganisms will just die off. So you need that, and you also need armor on the soil, or else you have the sunlight beating on your soil, it'll dry it up, crack it, and uh, that that drought, uh, the drought-ridden soil, like it's it, that doesn't sustain life either. You need moisture. All life needs needs water. And the last thing is your animal impact. 
So like those, those are the main five principles of, of maximizing your soil health. And the beauty thing is like, if, when you are rotationally grazing animals, like what we're doing with our, our turkeys and our beef, like when you do that, you naturally follow all of these principles. Like it just kind of happens. You don't really need to think about it too much, but these principles, like the fact that we can know them is, is useful because then we can apply that to row cropping, to fruit production, vegetable production, and you can grow anything with these principles and improve the soil health. It just takes a little more intention. And like, I'm in a stage on our farm where I'm just doing an awful lot of experimentation. Uh, <laughs> one, for trying to find ways to improve animal welfare, but now also like this regenerative agriculture, like I got like these um, a compost bins that I'm growing and, and you can make teas from this really high quality compost, compost that is teeming with biodiversity teeming with fungus especially because that's what you're trying to add to the soil because even dead soil has bacteria but it doesn't have the fungus and the the worms and the 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 insects and stuff like that the whole food chain you're adding the food chain back to the soil to bring it to life to fast forward the whole thing because even things like like i can plant diversity and then over time over years of having this diverse pasture the 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 microorganisms will come but there's like things that I'm experimenting with, like making this this compost tea that I can apply to the field just to kickstart the whole the whole system and make it happen quicker, where you have this ecosystem of microorganisms in the soil. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, like the with the turkeys and with the the beef, it just is so much easier. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take nearly the same in, uh, amount of intention to improve that soil health. All you do is like you give them enough grass for the day, you move them on to the next piece. And then uh, three days later, the turkeys, the turkeys are following in behind the, the animals. Like there's, there's insects that are attracted to the manure from the bulls. <laughs> and like, so then the turkeys come by and they're eating those insects and they're spreading the manure out. They're spreading out those nutrients from the bulls and the turkeys, they're a lot smaller. So they don't like this tall grass. They, they can hardly see each other. So the bulls, they <laughs> shorter they trample it down and then turkeys they come a little bit later on into the shorter grass and like they comp each other really well and it's like it makes sense because if you really look at it like what the birds would do with the ancient herds of bison that used to go across north america is something very similar to that what we have set up with the turkeys what? like this and, it, and it's great because like the 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 push for efficiencies also pushes us towards specialization and Regenerative agriculture has a very different push. It really wants you to treat your whole farm like an ecosystem. Don't separate your animals from the from the crops and stuff like that. And even if you are growing vegetables or fruit, put some animals in there. Like you got you have it all mixed in, and it's a very different looking way of farming. Yeah, I mean, the part that sticks out to me the most is like you said, it's kind of like the bulls come, and then you know the turkeys are behind there. It almost seems like there's like a natural order to the way things should be done. It just it's almost like I wouldn't say it's an artificial setting because it's still in nature, but it's almost like you're pushing them to go and it's like, all right, this is your position. It's your turn now, you know, act two turkeys, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. And you're, you're really just trying to get out of nature's way and like really learn from nature and just manage it in a way that, that keeps those ideal, those ideal conditions continuing. Because like, I know like if I, if I give the bulls, 
um if i like allow if i allow them to do what they want and like when it comes when it's like a rainstorm or something like that they'll clump and try to protect each other from the rain and then they'll see some mud and they'll trample in that mud and if it's a hot day the next day well they'll still go and hang out in that mud and before you know it that little patch there is absolutely destroyed it's not going to grow anything for the rest of the year so like you you see what, what works on the good days and then like on rainy days you just keep moving them so you don't get that 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 buildup of, of mud and the, the trampling because like the moisture in the soil also makes the soil softer so it's more sensitive to damage from these from these animals so like you you can actually learn from nature but then also try to manage it in a way that you keep these ideal conditions growing so like when it's high you can slow them down a bit because now the the soil can handle a little more weight it can handle the the weight of the animals a little better without getting destroyed but then when it's really raining it's really wet and in ontario bc too like you get a lot of rain yeah. so you got moving or else you're going to ruin your pasture that's interesting because i never even thought about that but the other question i had immediately when you said rain because it's canada i was thinking like how do you guys deal with snow then that's right yeah there's 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 different two different ways that you can do it and it depends on how much rain and snow you get and like because like cattle they can handle cold condition they're 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 designed for they have that, that layer of insulation so they they can handle cold quite well as long as it's not windy and drafty uh -huh. so what you see a lot with the, in the regenerative space is that in the winter they'll just put out or i guess more in the fall they'll put out bales in the field mm -hmm. and then when there's not much food left on pasture they'll just allow these these animals access to these bales that they put there in the fall and it's still like you're still rotationally moving them from one bale to the next bale to the next bale but that only works if your your ground is frozen solid as soon as you have thaw cycles throughout the winter or or rainy cycles or or anything like that your your ground softens up it's very moist you have all that sloppiness from the snow and stuff like that and the snow actually insulates the ground as well so if you have lots of snowfall you have more insulation and then you have softer soils then too so like, unfortunately in ontario and it would be the same in bc if you tried some bale grazing you almost need to sacrifice a piece of land because they're going to destroy it because it's going to be so soft because we have too many thaw cycles in here in ontario like mm -hmm. in the middle in the in the middle of the country alberta saskatchewan or even going to the u.s it gets colder there but it's dry cold yeah. and you don't get the same amount of snow you don't have nearly as much insulation to keep that soil warm so it gets really hard that dirt so you that's like bill grazing is very popular in the prairies yeah. but what we actually do um we have an old barn so we we uh just put them in the barn for the winter we give them a, a straw bale once a week that they can destroy and knock around a little bit and keep them dry and then we we bring them fermented grass fermented hay and then that's what they eat throughout the winter and then uh and then as soon as uh the we have enough grass growing in the spring you have that root system that root system brings structure to the soil strength and then it can handle the weight of these steers again and you put them back outside that's super interesting, man. Cause it's like, like I said, you don't know where you don't know. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, honestly, there's like a method to the madness, man. Cause it seems, I always saw those bales. I'm like, I wonder why they're, why they're out there. Cause I mean, I used to drive out in Saskatchewan and all that. And, um, well, well when I was working out there, I'm just like, you know, I, I always wondered, I'm like, what's the deal with all the bales out there? Especially when it's like, you know, minus 20 or whatever the case may be. 
And I, I imagine there had to be some type of protocol for it. But now that you explain that, man, that makes perfect sense, dude. But tell us a little bit more about your website and where anybody can find you. Yeah, so our website is uh, moraleats.com. Um, Moral Eats. So it's <laughs> just like that. So then, um, and we uh, we have a, a promotion, basically. If you sign up to our email list and you sign up to our newsletter, we'll give you the chance to win a, a free meat box. That's at least $230 value. Damn. And you can try. So you can have the potential to try some of our meat for free. And then uh, we also have a lot of information on there, a little bit about my backstory and uh, some other reading material and stuff like that from our website. But then we also post stuff on social media, like we're on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, I'm Sander Vance D. That's where that's my handle. But then also for Instagram, we're more elites, and on Facebook, we're more elites farms. Nice. So that's that's the way to get in contact with us. As uh, and obviously there'll be. They can, I'll be referring to people to your podcast as well so they can listen to our <laughs> long conversation. I, I love the format of these long, long form conversations. It allows you to go much more in yeah. depth. Whereas like a lot of content that I make is like under a minute videos. So it's just, <laughs> you gotta like hook them and then get those views up there and like keep it really short and sweet. And you don't get the same backstory that you can mm -hmm. in these long form conversations. 100%. Because the thing is, it's kind of like with those TikTok shorts and that, I mean, if you're really good, you could probably get as much cramming as much information to like a minute. But that's kind of why I love, you know, the podcasting side of things. And honestly, it was a blessing to have you on the show, like I said before, because, you know, this is something that I think is going to change has to change in the near future, because I think more and more people are becoming aware of the fact that there's a big difference between grass fed beef and the industrial stuff that's loaded with steroids and hormones and God only knows what else, right? Along with the proper right. protocols that you employ to make sure that, you know, everything that comes through your farm is done in a moral way, right? And I, I honestly, I value that. And I think it's something fantastic, man. And the fact that you were able to hear it just enlighten me, you know, I'm like, I got to go tell my wife about all the things I learned today, <laughs> you know, and about the right. differences. And then hopefully we can see major changes, man. But Honestly, Sandra, this was very, very enlightening. And anybody that wants to get in touch with you, I'll make sure all the links are in the description. And again, thank you for coming on the show, bro. It's been a pleasure. It's been nice talking to you. And with that, guys, until the next episode.